Welcome to another episode of Hey, I'm Listening. I'm your host, Dr. Joan. And today my guest is Leah Forney. And I am so excited for her and I to chat with you. And we are talking about turning your pain into power, mm-hmm. overcoming the traumas that we endure. So welcome once more to Hey, I'm Listening. Thank you. So tell me how you define power, right? You say turning your pain into power, but how do you define power? For me, power is no longer being held captive by things that you no longer had had no control over. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of times when life happens to us, we tend to get stuck in the life happening to us that we don't see what it's supposed to teach us, how we're supposed to grow, how we're supposed to develop. And so when you turn, for me, turning my pain into power was getting outside of, okay, this is a situation I really don't want to be in. Right. But then learning to say, but what is it teaching me? Yeah. What am I supposed to learn here? How am I supposed to develop? Because I really believe that's what adversity is for. It's it's developing some type of weak muscle, if you will, that just needs to be strong a little bit. And it might just be your resilience muscle, like the, the ability to just be able to bounce back when life is happening. So power is just being able to not look at at life happening to you, but looking at life happening for you. Wonderful. I love that definition. And it's so interesting, even with my clients, but you know, just in the way that life is always happening, there's this, this synergy. And even the language that you just use right now, I'm reading a book, and it's called happier than God, right? Mm. And um, it was funny, that as I was reading it, it was presenting these ideas. And the number one idea uh, that he presents is that life is an illusion, right? And because as you said, the things that are happening, we can interpret them, but there are multiple and limitless interpretations to this thing that is happening right now. And so he talks about the illusion and coming out of the illusion and then being able to watch a moment happen. And then rather than ask why, or tell a story about it that's like, woe is me, you know, uh, or the victim story that oftentimes we get trapped in. It's now about stepping outside of it and asking the question, if I could put a name to that, then what would I label it? What would I call it? Because Mm -hmm. as soon as you step into that zone, then the next thing is you have to consider, well, if I'm labeling it that, why did I create it? For what purpose? So then he positions us as creators of this thing. And this thing actually has a purpose towards making us better. And so as you have said, the struggles uh, are those things that come, what we determine to be struggles and the boulders that we have to roll up the hill are those things that come that then strengthen a muscle, whether that's resilience or something else. Yeah. So Talk to our audience about the things that have come into your life that have strengthened the various muscles Mm -hmm. that you needed to strengthen. Yeah. So, I mean, I I think for me, a lot of it has been childhood trauma. So I grew up 
one, uh, addicted to drugs. So my mom was, you know, back in the seventies and eighties, I grew up in Queens, New York. So that was like the highlight of the crack epidemic at that time. Um, and so my mom got caught up in using drugs and she got addicted and she was carrying me and I was what they used to call back in the day, a crack baby. You know, I was born addicted to crack cocaine and doctors told my, my grandmother that I wasn't going to live long. And if I did, I was going to have all these defects. Like they just thought like, you know, she would, if she lives past the age of five, she's going to struggle with learning and she's going to struggle in her development and things like that. And I always say God had other plans because none of that (laughs) was the case. Um, but growing up, not having both my parents, cause my father battled with alcoholism and he was in and out of prison. So I grew up like a lot of young black youth, just feeling abandoned and rejected and not having that sense of identity because the two people I'm supposed to learn about who I am and where I come from are not here. And so I'm being raised by grandma and grandpa. Um, and auntie and you know that was very common in that in my generation at that time and it was different you know some people would say well you had biological family members so you should have been okay but I still had the void of not having mom and dad yes so even though grandma and grandpa were great at trying to make me feel loved and wanted and all of that I still had the void of not having my parents. And so I felt different. A lot of my friends in my neighborhood came came home to mom and dad every day. I did not. So when people would ask me about my parents, I always had some elaborate story because <laughs> I spent a lot of time just journaling, creating different fictional stories and not knowing that one day it would lead to all the accolades that I have now. But I think for me as a young nine-year-old, that was like my way of escape. It was just like, I don't want to have to carry the burden or feel the weight of, I don't have a mother and father. Right. You know, so I'm just going to pretend like it doesn't happen and create these stories. And so I dealt with the abandonment. I dealt with rejection. I always say, I wish that that was all I dealt with, but even going into my adolescent years and looking for love in all the wrong places and gravitating to older men, because I'm trying to find daddy, yeah. you know, trying to find someone that's just going to love me and ending up in situations where I've been sexually violated. Um, those adversities in my life were creating something in me that I don't think I knew <laughs> what was creating in me. Um, And that was my ability to bounce back, Mm. my ability to like take life happening to me Mm. and keep pushing because with every traumatic experience that I've had, and I've had a lot to be only in my mid thirties, I've always knew how to bounce back. Like it didn't keep me down for long. It might have knocked me down, but I didn't stay down. Right. And I think experiencing those adversities at such a young age created that and helped me strengthen that muscle. So, you know, I grew up with both parents absent as well. Uh, I grew up in a home where my dad was actually married to somebody else other than my mother. And then my mother departed and came to Canada. So this was back in Jamaica. And so I understand living with grandparents who Mm -hmm. are loving, who are kind, who are creating 
a space where you belong and who tell you all the time that they love you. And yet yearning for that parent that is just not here. Right. Yeah. Now I did see my dad, so it's not like he was totally absent, but you, you know, it's that understanding that when you go home to a person, there is this space of belonging and that, you know, if you don't have that, you can end up seeking for it in all of these other ways, even though somebody else is telling you, you belong. Right. Yeah. So as you move through your life, at what point did you decide to shift the story and then, you know, recognize the illusion that was there and, and want to do it different? So it actually has been very recent. So in the last four years, so, you know, fast forward into my life, at this point, I had met a guy, I was engaged to be married four years ago. And he tragically passed away out of nowhere. Wow. And going through that, that particular death was way different than any other death. Like I tell people like, I've lost a dog. I might've had a family member die, but it was something about having losing the person that you were going to marry. Yes. That really was a defining moment for my Mm -hmm. life. Cause it was a moment where I had to make a decision about, okay, one, where is my life headed at this point? But then also two, I had to make a decision about me (laughs) and what is it that I wanted and where was I going? And I tell people all the time that moment in my life, God was so, he was so strategic because at that particular moment was the decision to go to therapy. Mm. And when I started therapy, therapy was the first time that I realized that I had spent 30 something years of my life grieving losses right, and didn't realize it right? because I had developed this resiliency muscle that was just like, yep, we're going to keep on ticking, yep. we're gonna ticking going. you know, and keep going and keep yep. reaching milestones and yep. getting all these accolades. Yep. And so when Joseph died unexpectedly, it was like all of that got kind of stripped down. And I'll tell you the moment that made me really say, okay, it's really time to like deal with it mm-hmm. was I almost died in a head on collision. Wow. I ended up driving one night full of emotions, crying after he died. And, you know, they tell you don't ever get behind the wheel of a car when you're full of emotion. Yeah. Cause look, my whole life as I knew it had fell apart. I, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what to do. I just, this was the first time that I had to really like lean on my faith. And I ended up crying so bad that I blacked out behind the wheel. Wow. And what brought me back was hearing the horn of the other car. Wow. And we were so close that literally I could have lost my life that day. Wow. And that's when I heard God say, are you going to deal with it? Cause it's dealing with you. Hmm. And that was the moment that I was like, okay, I need to get into therapy. I need to talk. I need to process this. I need to really, and my therapist and she's still my therapist to this day, but she was so amazing at helping me to see that all I had known for 30 some years was grief and loss from childhood to present day. Yes. I just never took the time to sit down and really process how I was feeling. I just kept on ticking. Um, I have some training in a technique called Psyche and Psyche is all about the, you know, connecting the subconscious mind with the conscious mind and then the superconscious. they call spirit superconscious in this particular realm. But the idea being that the superconscious just does, it, it has no time limit, it has no timelines. 
So everything is just present, right? Yeah. And so whatever belief you drop in, it just kind of makes life happen in accordance with that belief. And what many of us don't recognize is we have these beliefs that have dropped in from childhood and they're on autoplay because the subconscious mind doesn't realize that you're now receiving accolades. It doesn't, it still has that, that play. And mm -hmm. so you're going on, you're growing up and, you know, but that belief is still here. And as long as that belief is still here, what's going to happen is it's creating now a field where you're always going to experience that thing, right? So if even as an infant or as a three-year-old or a five-year-old or a six-year-old, you are mourning the loss of someone else, the subconscious mind has this belief and it centers on it. And so what happens is you go through this spiral yep. where there's a loss, there's another loss, there's another loss, and then it blows up until now you have to do something about it, right? Because mm -hmm. it's like whatever you hold on to, then it just keeps twirling and twirling and it gets bigger and, and faster and faster until you have to let it go, right? So I think that's yeah. part of what's happening in life. And so Joseph's death is kind of like this magnanimous moment. Mm -hmm. And I love what the voice of God says, right? Are you going to deal with this? Because it's dealing with you. Yeah. So you're now helping women who... Mm -hmm have experienced trauma. Mm -hmm. And so how do you use now your life journey and your life story to kind of help them now see these magnanimous moments, see the patterns and the beliefs that's, you know, embedded in them, and then kind of coming out of that on the other side? Yeah, I think for me, the first thing is really getting them to accept where they are, accept because for me in my own healing journey, I had to come to the place of acceptance. And what I've learned about acceptance is that acceptance is not saying, oh, this didn't happen. Acceptance is accepting the reality that it happened. And there's really nothing you could do about it. And you have no control of it, yeah. you know? And I think about, even when I think about this, the stages of grief and how acceptance is one of that, it's not saying, oh, you're just supposed to move on and forget that your loved one died. It's no, let's accept the fact that he, he or she is gone. Yeah. And they're not coming back because yeah. that's the reality, yeah. right? And so when I work with women, it's getting them to just accept the reality of where they are present day, but also getting them to understand that there was a whole bunch that led up to where they are present day. Like it didn't happen overnight. You didn't wake up one day and was just like, oh, snap. Right. All of this happened. Like this is a progressive like journey. Yeah. And then getting them to make an empowerful decision. Like I did learned on my own healing journey. You healing is a choice. Yeah. You can choose whether or not you want to rewrite the narrative of your own life. I think that's the beauty of the pen that I understand now as an author. Yes. Is that you write the words. You right. get to determine how the story's going to end. Yes. You get to do it. And yes. so when I work with women, it's empowering them to pick up their own pen in life and rewrite the narrative. Okay, so mom wasn't there. Okay, we know that to be true. We can accept that. Yeah. Right. But how do we change that, like rewrite that narrative so that you're not staying in the place of mom wasn't there. Yes. And I know for me, my therapist helped me to understand that when you are healing, 
you get, begin to see things differently, do things differently, and hear things differently. Whereas trauma kind of distorts those things. Absolutely. And so learning to see my parents as the human beings that they really were yeah. versus the story I created and yeah. told myself to escape the reality was so monumental and powerful for me because I got to see them as here's two imperfect human beings that had their own set of tools that were passed down by their parents or lack of tools trying to figure this thing called life out. Right. And the greatest thing that they could do for me and my siblings was love me enough to be like, let me hand you over to someone who can love you. Hmm. But it took me to get to that place of healing to see that. Because for a long time, it was like, well, how could you just give up your child? How could you? And now I see that was the greatest gift of love that my mom and dad could ever do because they knew that they couldn't do it. Right. And so instead of leaving me in the, in the hands of strangers, yes, they left me in the hands of their own parents that were like, I can't do this. Yes. And then it helps me to be able to empathize with how hard of a decision that had to be to give life and know that you really can't take care of the life that you've given. Right. That's hard. That must be so challenging. And the fact that they also gave two gifts, they gave you a gift by giving to you, you two, uh, was it your mom's parents or your dad? Yeah, my mom's parents. So your mom gave you a gift by giving you to her parents, but she also gave your parents a gift. She gave, mm-hmm. she gave her parents the gift of a do-over. Yeah. And, and then, you know, doing it better the next time around that, you know, so, you know, grandmas, by the time they become grandmas, um, they've evolved that, you know, we're at different stages of life. We can do it a little bit better. Right. Yeah. So, um, that must've been, you know, I'm sure at times, uh, difficult, but then at times very rewarding for your grandparents, mm-hmm. you know? So I think about it in that way as well, as I hear you, uh, tell your story. Yeah. So now as you are helping folks and, you know, you're a writer and also, are you a filmmaker as well? Mm-hmm. And so which film are you most proud of? Probably the one that is getting ready to come out. It is called The Forgotten, Unheard Stories of Black Women in Sexual Assault. Mm-hmm. And that one is my baby because one, I'm a sexual assault. I say sexual assault thriver because I always say there's a difference between surviving and thriving through something. Yes, yes. And so the where that film, the passion for that film came out from was I actually not only had been sexually assaulted a few times in my life, but I was also impacted by the rape kit backlog. And so in the United States of America, there's literally over 100,000 untested rape kits. What? Yeah. And so it took eight years for them to test mines. And I got the call June of last year when they were like, oh, we tested your rape kit. What do you want to do? (laughs) It was one of those. And I got raped in 2013. So when that call came... I remember praying and I said, okay, God, if I got to relive this part of my life, mm-hmm. how do I make this bigger than me? Because mm-hmm. if it takes eight years for somebody to, to bring my perpetrator to justice, then I know if I had to wait eight, it's so many other people waiting. 
And so I started researching about this backlog because I didn't even know it existed. <laughs> so I mean, I'm just I, horrified. I'm I'm yeah. like absolutely like what? Yeah, I didn't even know it existed. And so I started connecting with different organizations here in Maryland where I live. And I got connected with the Federal Coalition and we partnered together and I began to share my story because I knew that if it happened to me, it happened to so many other people. And so that kind of ignited the fight. And then how the film came about was one of my really close friends, she has her own production company and she's big about telling black and brown stories. And so we just happened to have a conversation one day and I was like, you know what would be cool? We should do a film about black women and sexual assault. Just casual conversation, Dr. Joan, I promise you. And she was like, okay, let's do it. And I'm like, girl, bye, you playing. <laughs> like, I was not, and literally within like days, like she had her team ready. She was like, I'm serious, let's do it. So wow. we put on a casting call. We got the ladies, they flew out to the location and they told their stories. And we actually just met a couple of days ago and we'll have a trailer in a couple of weeks. So I'm wow. beyond excited because I think that our stories as women of color don't get told them enough. And at first it was kind of like, I don't want to exclude nobody. And it actually took one of my really dear friends who I work with at that coalition, who's a Caucasian woman. And she was like, no, I think you should stick to women of color because y'all stories don't get told enough. And so it's a powerful, powerful film where you hear from multiple women of color sharing their experience of what it was like being sexually violated. Wow. Stay with us. We're going to take a short break. Why do you think our stories don't get told? I think for us as women of color, there's a lot of shame attached to our stories. There's a lot of us that sit in a place of guilt and shame. I know for me, even being sexually violated for a long time, it was this feeling of like, what did I do wrong? Why did I? And so I think we get stuck there. Mm -hmm. And because we get stuck there, we don't, we haven't learned how to navigate out of that place enough for us to tell it. And so it just doesn't get told. And then I also, and then if we look at just society, right? Like women of color, people of color, like unfortunately in 2022, we're still looked at as our ancestors were in slavery. You know, like we had to want it to happen if we did it. Like it was always blamed on us. Right. And so I always think about even like Me Too movement and all that Tarana Burke has done and how we had other races trying to take that. And it was like, yeah, can we just have a moment for ourselves? <laughs> like, but I think yes. also the beauty in that, and in, in, in my opinion, the beauty in that is that it allows us to create the platforms to yeah, tell the story right? versus other and, people telling it. Yeah. And depending on the timeline, when you look at it, you know, when the enslavement experience, I'll call it that began, you know, we have a couple of dates, 1619, which would make it our 403rd year since our ancestors, you know, came across on the first boats. Then there is another, which is 1563, which would make it in the 460 something years mm -hmm. since that time. So we've had quite the journey, you know, yeah. 
where the body of the black woman has moved from being this place that people just kind of sperm dump and, and get their creation of whatever it is they're trying to create versus what we're trying to create. And, yeah. and, and then being, a, being in that place where our children are totally disturbed. And then we have to like try to hustle as the hen and, you know, put our arms around them to then the complete annihilation through drugs, um, as you have experienced it, where they poured drugs literally into the community, overwhelmed yeah. it and had our parents literally become drug infested individuals who had children. And, and now we come to the place where this has evolved and spiraled and spiraled to the big bang. And now it's like, do something or die, you know? Yeah. And I think part of it is really, we need to tell our stories. We need to document it in such a way that it is contextualized by this, um, by, you know, the, the truth uh, and also allowing ourselves to know what this whole colonization experience has been about and how it comes to the everyday experience and the front doors of those of us who are black people. Yeah. So what are you hoping for the film to do? If anything, I'm hoping that it has, we start a conversation. Mm -hmm. I think that's the reason why with both films, the first one we did was about black women and black maternal health and why we are dying at alarming rates giving birth. Yeah. And really, we just wanted to create the films to start a conversation, right. to be able to say, like, we can't keep pretending like this is not happening. We can't keep acting like, you know, mama's boyfriend ain't sneaking in their daughter's, be daughter's bedroom at night. We can't keep doing it. You know, it, I, and I think that's the beauty of this generation is that we're a lot more vocal <laughs> about things. Yes. That the previous generation still were like too afraid to speak up about. And now we're like, we're, we're having to be more vocal about things that now we have this huge mountain under the rug <laughs> that we're peeling back the layers on now. Yes. Yes. But I love that because it's sparking a new generation of activists and advocates and people that are just like, enough is enough. <laughs> like We're not, we're Absolutely. not going to do that. We're going to take our mental health days. We're going to do like, and I yes. love seeing it because I think this is something that in our community alone, we've been needing for so long. I love that. What do you think is going to stop us though, from going over to the other side, you know, where we become oblivious to what the struggle is and you know, kind of pretend like we're white people in black skin and just kind of start living the life that they've been living, you know, what's going to stop us and, or let me say, what's going to help us to do it better? I think what's going to help us to do it better is that we want better. Mm. I think we have a generation of people that are like, we've seen mom struggle. We've seen grandma struggle you know, we're not going to do that anymore. And we see it every day, you know, even in our workforce, how we're more vocal about, I'm not going to work 50 hours a week and not take a day off. Like I'm not going to stay at a job that's just no longer serving me. Like I'm going to use my gifts. I'm going to use my talent, yes. you know? And I think that's the reason why they're calling it the great resignation. Cause people are realizing that we have a generation of people that are just like, how grandma and them did it is not working. Right. And so we're not going to keep doing it that way. We're going to find a new way. We're going to forge a new way. And I think as long as we stay 
focused on the end point and the outcome, which is for us to just be better and to make sure the generations coming behind us are better, mm -hmm. then we'll be fine. Do you think though that the generation, cause I mean, I get it. Like I have seen the resignation, you know? Um, I've also seen like a, a lack of motivation sometimes though, you know? So yeah. my nephew, I think he's 21, 22 now. And um, so, you know, the resignation piece comes in kind of like this belief that hard work is not necessary. That's one of his beliefs that he carries. And then the resignation, I, I don't wish to work hard. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but then there's also the resignation that comes with you know, well, I can always look it up. So I don't need to know anything, you know. Um, so, you know, when you, how do you balance it so that we don't swing the pendulum totally one other direction? We've had the yeah. white guy tell us what we should do and demand what we should do and impose structures so that we do exactly what he wants. But now on the other side, we, we do have to recognize that there is something to us that is unique that needs to come out. And so how do we release that thing that needs to come out without then swinging the pendulum into this place where it's like, we don't know what we're doing. It's an oblivion somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, honestly, I think it comes down to really staying true to yourself and not trying to do it everybody else's way. Because I think that's the hard part about social media, right? Like social media, you see the highlight reel, you see people that all of a sudden popped up on the scene and they're millionaires and they're these big influencers and like everybody wants to be that. Yeah. I think if we do a better job of sharing the process mm. and getting people to see like, yeah, I didn't start off with a million followers. Like right. I had one right. and then I had to keep trying and like <laughs> that part is what I feel is missing from yes. the conversation because yes. people are seeing the highlights and they're yeah. like oh I could quit my job and wake up and spend and be you know <laughs> sell a million dollars worth of product and that's not how it happens like it's a oh I might have this product and then I tried to sell it okay that didn't work so then let me try something else right. and then try something else so I think as influencers and people that are doing this type of work and just trying to make things better we have a responsibility to show the real process mm -hmm. to be as transparent about the ebbs and flows of entrepreneurship the ebbs and flows of being a, a business owner you know that's one of the things that I do a lot on my social media like I highlight like it didn't always start like this. Right. Like I've had plenty of products that didn't sell a dime. Yeah. And I'm transparent about that because I want people to understand, like, not to say that you cannot take your gifts and talents and create an amazing company. You can, but it's not going to happen overnight. It's right. a process. Right. Right. And so as you are now, are you teaching people entrepreneurship as well? So I do teach people, um, not so much entrepreneurship, but I do teach people how to like create their own podcast, how to get more visible for themselves. Yes. Um, because I, I believe that you could be your own PR person. Mm -hmm. I have nothing against public relations experts, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I believe that sometimes we spend money and invest in things that really, if you just took the time to learn, yes, you could do it yourself. Yes. Yes. You definitely could. So, I mean, it's wonderful, all of the things that you have just said. What about your books? Which one of your books are you most proud of? Mm, 
the most proud of? I would probably say this last one. It's called Born to be Unbound. And I'm more, most proud of it because it's the first book that I've written from a healing place. Like all my other books highlighted my trauma right. and the different things that I went through. But this one in particular was the first time that I was able to write a book and provide pr practical steps and tools on how I've been able to heal. Hmm. And so tell, tell us about those practical steps and the tools. Like, do you have like a seven step kind of process that you move through? I'm just saying seven, just <laughs> a number, but do you, did you highlight certain like specific steps and what are they? Yeah. So I definitely highlighted specific steps. Um, one of the chapters I talk about changing your perspective Yes. Um, and I talk and in that chapter, I talk about how sometimes our perception is really not reality. Yep. Right. Yeah. And having to learn the lesson around how I'm perceiving a thing doesn't make it real. Right. Right. Like it's just like the the old school, like the boogie monsters in the closet. Yes. Like, yes, is the boogie monster really in the closet? Right. And so when I talk about changing my perspective, the lesson that I learned was trauma creates this anxiety where you feel like you're living your life waiting for the other shoe to drop. Absolutely. Like you go every day of your life, like, okay, something bad is going to happen. Right. Something bad right. is going to happen. So you're always on this edge. Yes. And one day I literally, and I'm very spiritual and I pray and I was like, one day I was like, God, if I wait every day of my life waiting for the other shoe to drop what would happen if I woke up every day expecting something good to happen yeah like that practical yes and so I was like you know what I think that's what I'm gonna try I think I'm gonna wake up every day expecting <laughs> expect something, something good, good to yes. happen and what I learned in changing my perspective was that the other shoe never drops yes that you learn to come to a place where you accept what's done is done. Right. And yeah. there's no going back to that. You can't undo that. Yeah. It was designed to do what it was designed to do. Yeah. And so when you make the shift to change your perspective on life happening and realize, okay, I can now control what I expect. Cause yeah. what I'm learning and have learned is your thoughts are powerful. <laughs> it's like they're really, really powerful. Absolutely. I mean, right now I'm developing an 18 month um, trauma recovery certificate because I recognize that the powerful process that I use with my clients, I can't just sit doing this one to one. And I know that if I teach other people how to do it, it will be far more rapid in going out, you know? Yeah. So, um, the idea is creating this trauma recovery certificate. And I actually have a course that talks about moving from what we call cognitive psychology to what we call thought and energy psychology, right? This new wave that has come out um, since the early 1990s has really been about an awareness that our thoughts yeah. is what creates our experiences. And then our beliefs are manifested, they manifest the destination that we go. So absolutely, uh, the place where you begin, which is the shifting of the perspective, is then going to then shift the belief, and then it's going to shift the thoughts, it's going to shift the actions, and then eventually move us into that destination. So what's number two? So number two is 
Um, because again, I'm very spiritual. I do, I have a chapter in there talking about God granted you the permission. Yeah. So I think a lot of times when we're in our place of trauma, we don't see purpose. And yeah. that's really where turning your pain into power actually came from. Because I used to say, turn your pain into purpose. Yeah. And one day God revealed to me that you are purpose. Right. You were created with a purpose. So yes. there's no turning pain into, into purpose. Purpose, purpose already is. <laughs> you are, already exist. Yes. It's about turning your pain into power. And so how we do that is understanding that God has granted you the permission to be free. He's granted you the permission to live a limitless life. He's granted you the permission to go after the things that you desire to go after. You just have to make a decision. Yes. And that's why I always say healing is a choice. It's a decision. It is deciding that today is the day that I decide that I'm going to take my life back. Today is the day that I decide that I am going to make a powerful decision that is going to change the course of my life. <laughs> wow. That is powerful. Stay with us, folks. We are going to take a short break. That is powerful. That's, that's the only word for it, right? That's a, an amazing, amazing way to speak about it. And I love you are purpose, right? And so, you know, the we talk about the spiritual journey, part of the journey being, you know, in this human life, we are spirit, but part of the journey is about discovery of spirit mm -hmm. and, the, and the awareness really of who we are as spirit. And then being able to live with that awareness in the everyday and recognize this body is yeah. a body, but I am spirit, right? And, and having that full and complete awareness of the power and the authority that you have in that spirit. So what's number three? So the third one is knowing when to ask for help. Um, one of the things, and I and I when I wrote that, I talked mainly about not having to choose between your belief in God and therapy. Right. I always tell people you can have the cross and the couch. Right. You don't have to choose. <laughs> um, because society has do you, think, do you think people really choose between therapy and yeah, I've, I've, I've had conversations with believers of Christ who have been like, well, you know, grandma and them always told me to pray about it and pray it away. And I, right. and right. I've always shared in my experience that I've learned that if I'm praying for something or trying to pray something away and it's not going away, that is God's way of saying that this is something you need to deal with. And so society kind of has, and religion has kind of made us believe that we had to choose. Yeah. And so what I try to teach people is you don't have to choose. Like there's yeah. a reason why God tells us in his word when it, to get an understanding and all things yes. get an understanding, right? Yes. And all things use wisdom. There's a reason why he has doctors and therapists right. and nurses. Right. right? You do so, not get because you do not ask, you know? Right. So, so yeah. being okay with saying, I am in this place. I don't want to be in this place. So let me seek the wisdom of those that he's put in place and right. know that you don't have to choose. Like, that's right. That's right. You can pray and still go to therapy. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and fast and go to therapy. Like it doesn't have to be a choice. And so it's an amazing book. 
because I literally am showing people because people have asked, Leah, how have you been, you know, you went through so much tragedy in the last four years. You've lost so many people. How did you do it? Yeah. And I, sh I you know, shared it in the book that I, re I learned and tapped into what God had promised me, which that he created me to be free and that I did not have to live a life bound by my past, bound by the pain, bound by the trauma. I just had to make a decision to write a different narrative, to change right. my perspective. That's right. How did forgiveness factor into all that you did? Oh, forgiveness was a huge piece. And I will say the first step in that for me was forgiveness of self, learning to forgive me for the thoughts, the beliefs, for just not knowing, <laughs> you know, for making decisions because I didn't know you know, and really letting myself off the hook. And that really helped a lot in my healing journey, because I'll be honest, like there was a time in my life where I didn't even like the woman I looked in the mirror at, you know, and my healing journey helped me so much because I started not only loving the person I saw, but every day I would affirm her. Every day I would like, I tell people one of my favorite songs is Mary J. Blige's Good Morning Gorgeous. She could not have put out a better song <laughs> because I wake up to that song every day. Yeah. And that is my morning mantra to myself. And I just stand in the mirror with before the getting dressed and looking good and doing all that we do, but just like, taking that moment to be like, you're amazing. I appreciate and you're it. awesome and you're <laughs> dope and you're. And affirming me, which was something I didn't really get as a child. Yeah. But I can give it to me now. Yes. Yes. And that's what I do. You know, um, the other day, uh, I do what's called balancing every morning. Like I, I check myself with muscle strength testing and I can ask the, I can make the statement, I am balanced. And then if I get a, a weak testing, then I know I have some balancing to do. So uh, not too long ago, I had the balancing to do. I appreciate and respect my skills, uh, my creations, uh, my opinions, my ideas, the things I know and the things I value and even my points of view. And it was funny that as I was balancing that, um, you kind of just sit in a kind of a meditative state with the statement. And as I was balancing that, I kid you not, this voice came from like, I don't know where, but it started talking to me in the most derogatory ways, just leaping on judgment, criticism of everything mm. pretty well that I'd often, you know, and I stood back and I just kind of watched it speak or listened to it speak and just kind of observed it for a while. And then at the point where it started to, and you're God, you know, it started to say, and I like, when you criticize God, I just kind of like, I'm done with you. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was at that point, I was like, okay, I've had enough of you. Like, I, and so then I went through a process of just basically tossing it out, but it was in the aftermath of it mm -hmm. and recognizing that that was very much a part of me and had been a part of me from the time I was a very young girl and the heaps of criticism and judgment, like it was so violating and assaultive in the way that this voice spoke to me. And yet I, I recognized I would, had been speaking to myself that way. Mm -hmm. And so it was in the aftermath that I was like, God, forgive me because I didn't even realize that was here, you know? Yeah. And 
I was speaking to me that way, which means I was speaking to you that way. Forgive me, you know? Yeah. And, and then there was a bit of a grieving that I had to do in the aftermath of that. And then just release it and decide that will never happen again. <laughs> yeah. Right? And that's, I think people don't realize that grief even comes with the healing journey because you're grieving the former version of yourself. Yes. I look at healing like the peeling of an onion. You're shedding back layers and it's continuous. Like I tell people, there's a reason why ING, we've learned in, in English, it's continuous, right? It's something that's constantly happening in every layer, every level you get to you know, there's a deeper layer you go, you know, you just, when you're like, Oh yes, I mastered that. That's it's right. Like, all right, that's right. Here we go. Level two. <laughs> like, <laughs> and you keep going. Yeah. Um, but it's, man, if I could do it all over again, I would, because it's been a beautiful journey. It's been a beautiful experience to rewrite some old narratives, to rewrite the way that I've thought of myself, to rewrite the way that I've looked at my parents and my upbringing and to let go of the things I had no control over. Yes, yes. And to be willing and able to just live in the present. Yeah. Is kind of like the greatest gift that you can give yourself. So we could sit there and say, oh my God, I'm looking back at all the ways I assaulted myself or somebody else assaulted me. But in this moment, I am free of that assault and I'm I'm just free. And yeah. I choose to sit in this moment, bask in this moment, enjoy this moment, welcome this moment, embrace this moment, because I think this is eventually where all of us are supposed to get to. And yeah. then you enjoy it for a little while and then you say, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the power of being present is powerful yeah. when you don't have to worry about. And I think that for me, that's what COVID did. Like, it helped me to slow down so much. Yes. I started to be able to embrace and appreciate God creation. Like I tell people, I remember the first time I walked in my neighborhood in COVID and noticed that I had cherry blossoms growing in my yard. <laughs> right. And I had never noticed that because yes. we were all in this routine and this rat race of life. Yes. And that was the gift I feel like in all the chaos and the calamity and everything that happened with it, with COVID, I feel like that was the gift that so many people were missing. Yeah. That God was just like, I'm just going to slow down time real yep. quick. Yep. So that you can appreciate being present. Yes. Like just be here. You yes. know, one of the things one of my colleagues used to always say, she used to say, be where your feet are. And I used to think that was so weird. I was like, what do you mean be where your feet are? <laughs> like that is weird. But now I understand that. It's like wherever your feet are landing at right now in the moment, just be there. Yeah. Don't think about what's to come. Don't think about what's been. Don't think about just be right there. Powerful. Powerful. Yeah. So I like to end with the question, but we have talked about it, but what is it that you're here to build? Mm, a legacy. So <laughs> I, my, my legacy is to leave this world better for my 12 amazing nieces and nephews. I tell people all the time, I don't personally have children, but God has allowed me to be a mother figure in so many kids' lives, not just my biological 12, but just so many kids. And so everything I do in my life, I think about how do I make sure that their generation is so much better than the generation before? And how do I make it so that 
my nieces and nephews don't ever have to worry about walking down the street and being assaulted. How like that is where I, I stay in the fight and I do the work that I do because I just want to make it better for them. That's amazing. So what do you need in order to kind of build this legacy and make this life that we see down the road better for them? Mm, I think for me, it's continuously building a community, continue to, you know, have uh, not just my own personal tribe of community, but continuing to be transparent, continuing to share my story, can just continuing to shine the light in areas that we're not shining the light in. And being so transparent and being okay with my truth. And that's the beautiful thing I've learned in healing is that it's your truth. It's your experiences. And no one can say it didn't happen because it's your experience and no one can invalidate that. Wonderful. Wonderful. So how about we close off with a prayer and a prayer that the truth and the light and the love just comes in as you build this. I legacy. love it. Yeah. Yeah. We thank you. Thank you for Leah and just beautiful, wonderful person that she is. Thank you for the life journey that you have walked with her through. Thank you for the purpose that is imprinted on her heart, her mind, her spirit, every cell on her body. Thank you for the presence that is in her, that is now building a legacy and a future for generations to come that can move through this life free and real and willing to know and be themselves fully and completely. A generation that is safe and protected, a generation that feels that they belong and knows that they belong, a generation that is willing to commune with one another, share and lead one another, a generation that is willing to accelerate humanity to the next and most wonderful level. We thank you for her life. We thank you for her gifts. We thank you for the movies, the books, the documentaries, and so much more that is to come. We thank you for her story and the steps in her healing journey that will now foster healing in so many others. So we ask that your light and your love and your life be poured in, be poured in, be poured into her and over her and through her and above her, Father. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace and your eternal mercy. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So it's been such a pleasure to have you with me today. Thank you for sharing your story and just being so vulnerable with our audience. Thank you for having me, Dr. Jones. Most welcome. This is Hey, I'm Listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please um, share it with those people that you think would benefit. Share it with those people who want to also build a legacy. Share it with those people who know that the next generation needs to hear our voices and that we need to end the silence and begin to speak vulnerably about our experience, not just the trauma, but also the healing so that we can support healing all over the world, all over the world, all over the world. Until next time, I'm Dr. Joan, and this is Hey, I'm Listening.